At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Amen, amen. Uh, if we've not had the opportunity to meet, my name is Kurt McDonald. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at the church, uh, and this morning it is my great privilege to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he add his blessing to it. Has this ever happened to you before? It's Sunday morning, and even though you had Saturday off from work, that Saturday got filled with all sorts of other obligations and you're kind of still exhausted from the week before, but it's, it's Sunday morning, and you know, you know you ought to go to church. That's what good folk do. And so you wrangle the kids, and you get into the car, and you make the drive, and you put on a smile before you come through the lobby, their seat, although someone else was in your seat, and you're a little miffed about that, but it's fine. You find another seat, and as the music begins to play, you you kind of sing the words or you mouth the words just a little bit, but your mind is somewhere else. You're, you're not engaged truly in the heart of worship. Your soul is not rejoicing at the content or the theme of the song. You're, you're thinking about that unfinished project at work. You're, you're thinking about that issue in your marriage. You're, you're thinking about all of the anxieties in your life, and they begin to crowd your mind, and, and you get distracted. And so as worship is actually happening, though you are postured for worship, you are not actually worshiping. Has this ever happened to you before. Maybe you're just distracted. Maybe that person in the, in the third row that keeps fiddling with a candy wrapper. I mean, that, that's, that's what's throwing you off. And so maybe you try to, again, just push yourself into that kind of heart or mode of worship. Maybe you try to lift a hand up in the air. Maybe that will just kind of usher you into to worshiping. Or, or maybe you do nothing at all. Maybe you sit there like a bump on a log as the greatest news ever told is sung to you in word, in song form. Either way, the service concludes and you know that you have merely sang the words and your heart did not truly engage in worship. Has this ever happened to you before? Well, I think if we're honest, we would all say, right, this is a safe place to admit where we really are spiritually and what's really going on in our lives. I think we can all say yes. We, we have experienced that type of quote-unquote worship where, again, the music is playing. We're mouthing the words, but our hearts and our minds are a thousand miles away from the Lord. And so, church family, what does then the Lord have to say about that type of worship? Well, it's not good. Amos 5, 21 through 23, I hate I despise your feast. This is this is hard speaking to us about this type of worship to where we're simply going through the motions, yet our hearts and our minds are a thousand miles away. It says, I hate, I despise your feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Listen to this. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look up. I will take away from me the noise of your songs, the melody of your harps, I will not listen to them. 
Do, do you see what the Lord is saying in that text? Do, do you think the Lord needs our grain offerings and, 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 and our burnt offerings? He already owns all of the grain. All of the cows are already his. The, the, these type of grain and meat. It was so that to him were not for the fact that God was hungry and needed grain and meat. It was so that their hearts would posture in a way that would show God the true honor that he deserves. Listen to what Jesus has to say in Matthew 15, 7 through 9. Jesus says this, you hypocrites. Well, that's not very nice, Jesus. He says, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy to you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do you worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What the Bible teaches us is that God is not interested in our half-hearted worship. He does not want our hands lifted high unless our hearts are lifted high as well. God does not want our closed eyes and bowed heads unless our hearts and our souls are also bowed in reference to him. This is what the Bible teaches us. Again, do you remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? That great conversation with, with Jesus and, and this woman who is, who is far, far from God. It says this in John 4, 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, Jesus there is making a distinction for this woman at the well between people who are merely going through the motions and people who are actually worshiping. He's making this distinction here for this woman. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such a people to worship him. Isn't that amazing news this morning, church family? God in heaven is seeking for people, for us, to worship him. Not because he is a megalomaniac that, that you know, has like, you know, self-image issues and he's desperately needing affirmation from people, so he just needs us to worship him. Oh no, he is the creator God of the universe. He does not need us, but he is desirous of us to worship him. Why? Because when he gets glory, we get joy. And so that's why God is seeking for us to worship him. And so, and so let's, let's just begin this morning by asking this question, because I think if I were to ask you this, what type of worship do you want to give God? True worship or lackluster? Do, do you want to enter into worshiping God in spirit and in truth, or are you okay with just going through the motions? Now, I'm going to answer that question for you. I'm going to make the assumption because you did wake up this morning. You did, you know, brush your hair, put on clothes, and come to church, and you're sitting here. I'm going to assume that your heart's desire is to give the Lord, the worship he desires to give him that type of worship. And so if that's what is you desire, why don't we do it? Why is this an irregular rhythm for us? Am I allowed to say that as the pastor of this church? This is an irregular rhythm that I find in my own heart to where I struggle to really enter into true, deep worship with the Lord. Is that okay for me to say, church family? Why is it that we do that? What's at, the, what's at the heart of it? What's, what's at the core of our, th this kind of half-hearted worship? If you're taking notes. An inwardly focused heart is the enemy of true worship. An inwardly focused heart, when our hearts and our souls and our minds are the greatest barrier. This is the barrier that hinders ourselves. 
this is the greatest barrier. This is the barrier that hinders us from actually truly engaging in real worship is the focus on ourselves and our own anxieties and our own problems and our own issues and our own stuff instead of turning that inward focus into a Godward focus. This is the greatest barrier that we have. And so church family, if there is anger and bitterness towards God that is hindering your worship, help me today. If there is anger and bitterness towards God, which is hindering your worship, that's actually an inward focus. Are y'all with me? So what happens then, that, that pride or that bitterness and anger towards God is really about what God has done to you or what God didn't do for you. Again, you are the one that's at the center of that. That's an, that's an inward focus. Or maybe the reason that your worship is so hindered is because there is unrepentant sin in your life. Oh, I'm not supposed to talk about that. But the reason that that unrepentant sin is there is because you have found yourself in a place of deep shame and also probably mingled with pride, which is causing you to not be able to repent, which that pride and shame is still both what? Inward focused. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? So not, not only that, for, for most of us in the room, the real barrier to true worship is the failure to regularly rehearse in our hearts and our minds the mercies and the greatness of our God. If we would be in the regular rhythm of, of just on a day-to-day -day basis, just rehearsing in our hearts and our minds the greatness and the goodness of God, when we enter in here on a Sunday morning and the music begins to play, it becomes a natural rhythm of our heart to then reflect on the goodness of God and that inward heart attitude turns outward to God. And so, why? Well, because we're focused on other things, ourselves. And therefore, the problem, inward focus, and inward focus, if you're taking notes, to say it another way, true worship begins when our inward focus turns into a Godward focus. When our inward focus turns into a Godward focus, that's where true worship really happens. And so let me just be, I want to be so clear. Let me be as clear as I can. I'm not saying that your problems and issues and the pain that you carry doesn't matter and nor does God care. I'm not saying that. So as I'm saying true worship is turning from the inward to the Godward, that's not minimizing the situation that you're in. That's not minimizing the pain that you're going through. That's not minimizing the real hurt that you have experienced. It's not minimizing that at all. But what it is doing is it's saying that God is bigger than the difficult situation that you're in. That God is more glorious than the deep pain that you're experiencing. And so what we need to do, instead of turning inward and focusing on our anxieties and our pain and our issues, is to take that and turn it outward, to turn it Godward, and to magnify him again. Because when God gets glory, what happens to us? Well, we find deep joy. Are y'all with me this morning? And so what we're going to see this morning in our text, church family, is a master class in worship. It's a, it's a master class. I mean, if, if you want to see and experience and know what true and real heartfelt from deep down in the bottom of your soul worship is, it's here in our text. And so I'm, I'm so excited to show this to you. John the baptizer is going to worship. Now, he is a baby in the womb and he's going to worship. After that, Elizabeth, 
I mean, look, look at, just, just go to, to verse 42. And she exclaimed with a loud cry. She worships. So John worships. Elizabeth worships. And then we get this incredible song called the Magnificat from Mary, where she just breaks into worship. And she models this, this worship for us. And we get to see all of these people engaging in worship. And so here it is, the, the one main idea, if you're looking for one main point, here it is. True worship pours forth from our soul when we make much of him and less of ourselves. When we make much of him and less of ourselves. That, that's when true worship happens. John the, the baptizer is, he's the second. He's the forerunner. He's, you know, he's not Jesus. But he, what does John say? He must increase and I must decrease. Elizabeth is fired up, not because she is finally pregnant after years and years of barrenness. She actually praises the fact that God has blessed Mary, and then Mary blesses God for the fact that God has blessed her. That all of these people then are not inward focused, they are outward focused towards God. They're Godward focused, which is why their worship comes alive. Okay, let me let me give us our outline. Here's our outline today. First, Mary and Elizabeth together for worship. We're going to see that in verses 39 through 40. They're they're together. You could for worship. So this amazing song that Mary is going to sing for us today, she could have done it at home. She could have stayed right there on her couch doing whatever she was doing and sang the song, but she doesn't. She goes to Elizabeth and they worship together. So first, Mary and Elizabeth together for worship, verses 39 through 40. Second, we're going to see this. John and Elizabeth worship with a leap and a song. It's going to get real charismatic up in here, y'all. John, filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to leap for joy inside of his mother's womb, which incites Elizabeth then to worship God for blessing Mary. Third, Mary models worship. It, it's, a, it's a blueprint, y'all, for how to truly engage in worship of the triune God. She, she lays it out for us. And so just in case you are afraid that Pastor Kurt came with three points on a sermon, y'all know I don't do that. Worship God for all that he models worship for us. She does it in these ways. Worship God for all that he has done for you. We'll see her do that. Worship God for what he will do, meaning what he's going to do in the future. Mary starts talking about this generational thing. And lastly, C, or 3C, worship God for what he has done for his people. It's almost like she recounts the Old Testament in just a few verses. Okay? So first, Mary and Elizabeth together for worship. Second, John and Elizabeth worship with a leap and a song. Thirdly, Mary models worship for us, and we're going to see those three ways. Let's get into our text today. Luke, we're still in chapter 1. We might still be in chapter 1 when the Lord returns. We'll see. We got a long way to go to get out of chapter 1. This is week uh, 4 five, week four in Luke, and we're still in chapter 1. Here we go. We're going to do a church family. First and foremost, Mary and Elizabeth together for worship. Verse 39. In those days, we'll stop right there. 
<laughs> for that very, that's why we're going to be in this book forever, y'all. In those days, what days are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the days after 400 years of silence. God has not spoken. The, the Old Testament ends, and there's been 400 years of silence. There's been no miracles. Uh, there's been no angels. Again, we, we get into this section in Luke, and it's like, oh, there's an angel, and an angel, and an angel, and an angel show up. And then there's angels everywhere, but that had not happened for 400 years. And so in those days, when God sent his angel Gabriel to announce to a barren woman that she was going to be pregnant with John, the forerunner of the Messiah, and then that same angel Gabriel goes to Mary, a virgin, and tells her that she is going to conceive because the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow her, and she is going to bear the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. In those days, that's the days that he is referring to. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, if you know your geography, this is not a journey around the corner. This is not three blocks down the road. You know, she's going to old cousin Elizabeth's house. She lives just on the other side of town. Church family, this is a 60 to 70 mile journey through rocky hill and terrain. 60 to 70 miles <laughs> this, is, this is absolutely incredible. So from Nazareth, where Mary is, down to Judah, where Elizabeth and Zechariah. I mean, there's, there's so many questions that I had about this. So uh, did she travel alone? It would be kind of strange, for, especially in this culture, for a young teenage girl to travel this far all by herself. Does she travel alone? Does a relative accompany her? Was there a group already going that way, and she just kind of joined in with him. How many days did this take? Was she riding an animal so it maybe took a little faster? Was she on foot? Are we talking three days? Are we talking a week? I mean, what is this travel time like? What town in Judah? It doesn't tell us. It just says to a town. It doesn't tell us the town in Judah. It just says that she went to the hill country to a town in Judah. And so the answer to all of these questions are, we don't know. Are not answered. Doesn't tell us. It doesn't answer these questions for us. And so the reason that these questions are not answered for us is because apparently it doesn't matter. And so to all the questioning minds like myself, it's very frustrating. But what we have to do is focus on what it is that we do know. What is it that we do know? Here's what we do know. When they get together, they worship. That's what we do know. That's what the text tells us. So there may have been multiple begins to worship. John's worshiping. Mary, they, they just... So there may have been multiple reasons for her traveling to go see Elizabeth. Again, who is going to believe Mary's story? Her parents? M Mom and dad, I'm pregnant. Oh, don't worry. It was an angel told me it's, it's going to be fine. Joseph? Well, we know he doesn't. The, an angel has to show up to him to explain, you know, what? who's going to believe Mary? Elizabeth will. Elizabeth will believe her. So, so is it 
Is it for like that confirmation? Is it for the camaraderie of this thing God is doing in the world and the two people who are at the center of the most exciting thing that God has done in hundreds of years is myself and Elizabeth. I've got to go be with Elizabeth. So is it confirmation? Is it camaraderie? Probably so. But here's what the text tells us. And here is what we do know. When they got together, they worshiped. They worshiped. They're together for worship. And so a couple of thoughts on this. Church family, you should worship God by yourself. That's a great thing to do on your car ride to work. When you're, uh, you know, when you're alone, cu- cutting the grass, riding a lawnmower with your earbuds in, fantastic time to worship the Lord by yourself. I'm talking from experience. Now, it's great to worship the Lord, but God has a specific design for corporate worship. If you're taking notes, corporate worship helps us turn Godward, not inward. Because it reminds you, as we gather here today, look, look around, church family. When, when Jesus died on the cross, he did not die just for you. Did he die for you? Yes, but he dies to save his people, his, his, the people that he has been longing for, the, the nation of Israel, the, the, the people who are his true people. He had died for them. His blood was shed, not for an individual to go live their individual Christian life, but his blood was shed for the community of believers to come together in corporate fellowship and worship as we gather together. It shows that we all have been adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so corporate worship, its design is to take the focus off of ourselves and turn that inward focus to a Godward focus, seeing the big picture that as we gather here together, we're a family. We belong to the family of God. Another thing that we can tell just from these verses is this is a teenage girl that goes to see her relative who is old enough to at least be her grandmother, and depending on the math, depending on the numbers, we don't know the, their exact ages, but could possibly be old enough to be her great-grandmother. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us this, if you're taking notes. Corporate worship can help bridge generational, political, social, and racial gaps in the church. Again, it's turning us not inward to who we are, our likes, our desires, our wants, who, you know, who we like to associate with, people that are our same age, people that are in our same life stage. No, as we gather here together and we experience this multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multicultural worship experience, it's turning us from our inward likes and desires, and it's turning us Godward to see that God is the God of the nations. God is not just the God of, uh, of middle-class white people. Amen. But God is the God of the nations. God is the God of all races and tongues that what the, what the Bible tells us in the end, surrounded around the throne, there will be people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And so it's turning us outward and Godward instead of inward. This is God's design for us as we gather to worship. Now you're saying, Pastor Kirk, you're on a rabbit trail. I say, I know. Let's get back to the outline. Second, John and Elizabeth worship with a leap and a song. Look at verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. Both of those things are incredibly significant. He leapt in the womb. That's incredible. But Elizabeth then is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, 
Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. I can't stress the significance of what's happening here. We saw that John is already filled with the Holy Spirit. As soon as he was conceived in the womb, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. But, uh, this is another rabbit trail, but it's worth going down, meaning that there is real human life in the womb. But uh, aside from that, that that's, that's a very important point. Aside from that, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here also, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you're saying, why is that so significant? The reason that is so significant is because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only rested on people for a moment to fulfill a particular task. Go back and read the book of Judges. You'll see the Spirit come in and rest on a particular judge to defeat a particular army or do a particular thing. But here, John is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and by his leaping and rejoicing at the coming Messiah, then Elizabeth is now filled and indwelt with the Holy Spirit, this is ushering scene. How does Jesus do age of the Holy Spirit? So that when Jesus shows up on the scene, how does Jesus live a sinless life? How does Jesus perform all of the miracles? How does Jesus endure the cross? Because he is indwelt and filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus promises then to us that the Holy Spirit would come, lo and behold, Acts 2, the Holy Spirit does come, and the new age of the Spirit is here among us in power. Amen, hallelujah. Somebody ought to get fired up about that. That the Holy Spirit now doesn't just rest on us for a moment, but indwells us forever, and this is the sign and the picture and the indication of the new age of the Spirit coming in. So, we see, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then she begins to make this, this Spirit-empowered, this is a certified, charismatic, Holy Spirit-empowered, physical outburst of unrestrained joy from John. He is essentially preaching the first messianic sermon from the womb with no words, and he does it he does it with a leap. Again, if you're looking at what Elizabeth is saying, make no mistake, this is not praising Mary. Elizabeth is saying that she is blessed because God had blessed her with a child. So she's saying, blessed are you. I mean, that's amazing. She is blessing her, but the reason that she's blessing her is because God had blessed her. It's something that, that God had done. Now, again, the, the very interesting question is Mary had just come in the door. She hadn't said, hey, Elizabeth, I have something really, really amazing to tell you. Because the Holy Spirit had come on Elizabeth, she knew through Holy Spirit discernment that there was a baby in that womb. And that that baby was the Messiah. The, the Holy Spirit had told her that. Look at verse 43. Elizabeth continues with her, with her worship and with her praise. And why is it granted to me... <laughs> It's so incredible what she says here. And why is it granted to me that the mother of who? My Lord should come to me. You, you, I cannot stress the significance of this enough. It's not as if the way that they, this is just the way they talk back then. Lords and ladies, we welcome you to the court. You know, that's, this is not 
They didn't just call any old body lords and ladies. That's not how they talked at all. This kyrios, or the word Lord, is, is only attributed to God. So what she's saying is that the mother of my Lord is coming to me. Again, she is not inward focused here. This is what's so incredible. Verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. Again, this is Elizabeth's Godward-focused worship. She does not assert her authority over Mary, even though she is the senior. Glad you're here, Mary. Uh, you know, there's some dishes that need to be done and some other things around the house. Here's a broom. See you later. She does not assert her authority, nor does she begin to brag on the fact that God had blessed her. She's praising God for the blessing that God had blessed Mary with. I mean, th this is, it's absolutely incredible that she's not inward focused with what's going on in her life. No, no, she is Godward focused in what God is doing in the grand scheme of redemption. She is humbled that the mother of her Lord would come to her. She says Mary is blessed because she believed the word of the Lord. Did you see that in verse 45? And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. I, I, wonder, I wonder if at this point she's not looking over at old Zechariah, right Zechariah? Blessed is Mary because Mary actually believed she probably didn't do that. Okay, three, third point. As I models worship. Now, as I read the commentators this week and I was just pouring over um, this prayer, what is so interesting is that many of the critical commentators, meaning uh, liberal scholars who don't believe the Bible is true, all, all that sort of thing, many of them had argument after argument about why a 13 to 16-year-old girl could never write a prayer this deeply theological and scriptural. They're like, uh, you know, it, it was probably written somewhere else. It, it certainly wasn't spontaneous. She probably got it from somewhere else, you know, because of its theological depth and its, you know, blah, blah. And I was like, these guys don't believe in the power of the Spirit. So critical commentators say that it's impossible for a 13 to 16-year-old girl to write such a thing Apparently, they didn't read verse 37 in this chapter. Uh, you know, go ahead and read it. But um, moving on, in addition, uh, there are multiple, multiple, multiple references to, man, just a ton of, like, I started to list them, and I actually had to, like, cut it from my notes because there's just too many. There's too many Old Testament references. There, if, you're, if you have an E, all of them. In addition, it is called, you can see there, if, you're, if you have an ESV, it's called Mary's Song of Praise or the Magnificat. Uh, the reason that it gets that name is because it receives that name from the first line of the song in Latin. Uh, and so that's why it is called that. Let's look at it together. Verse 46. Are you all with me today? Verse 46 says this. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my Savior. Now, there are two, two ideas here, and they're actually not two ideas. So she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God. So again, to be clear, this is not referred to two different aspects of human personality, but to the same deep 
center of human experience. So we're not, we're not bifurcating soul and spirit. This is, the, this is one idea that is ascribing the very center of who she is. This is where this praise is coming from. It's coming from the very center, her soul, her spirit, what's deep down in her heart, at, at the very depths of who she is. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And so think very technically with me here. Before you, don't, don't answer this question too quickly. When you put something under a microscope, does it make that thing bigger? Think very technically. The answer, no. But what it does do is it makes it bigger to you. It makes you view it bigger. So we're not magnifying the Lord in the sense that we make God bigger. Who can make God bigger? He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. He is the mightiest of all. We cannot make him any bigger. But what's happening in Mary's heart is that she is making God bigger to her. She is magnifying him. She is looking at all of his beauty and his glory and his majesty and all the good things that he has done for her and all the good things that he's going to do in the future and all the good things that he's done in the past for his people. And because of that, her mind's eye, her soul, her heart is focused intently on him and he is becoming bigger to her and everything else is becoming smaller. That's what's happening. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices with God. And so again, church family, we can make God bigger in our own souls when we meditate on his goodness. And so, church family, this is so key. The fuller our knowledge of God and his greatness, the greater our ability to enlarge him. Oh, nobody amen on that. Because what, what, I, what I'm saying there is you cannot love and magnify what you do not know. So the deeper... Uh, the, the more rich, the more full you know God, the more you can magnify him. This is why we are constantly encouraging you to take on the mantle of theologian. I want to be a studier of God, don't you? Not in the sense that, oh, <laughs> I'm a theologian. No, no, not, not in that arrogant type of way, but taking on the mantle of theologian so that the more that you know about God, the more you can magnify him. Th this is what Mary is doing and what what is so amazing is that both of these both of these verbs here magnifies and rejoices they're they're repeating so she keeps on magnifying she keeps on rejoicing and so why is Mary here magnifying and, and rejoicing because of what God had done for her first she calls him look back at it and my spirit rejoices in God my savior Mary acknowledges that she needs a savior Mary acknowledges that she is not sinless Mary knows that. She, she's not sinless. So she knows that because of her sin, she is under the wrath of God, rightfully so. But because of this gracious God, she is now saved. So she's praising God for what he had done for her. If you're taking notes, worship God for what he has done for you. Meaning this, we need to stop taking credit for what God has done. We've got to worship God for what he's done for us instead of taking credit for what we think we've done for ourselves. 
in addition, we've got to stop blaming God for the messes that we've got our own self into and essentially look at our lives, look at the good things, look at the blessings, look at just the great mercies that God has poured out on us and attribute that glory not to us and our talents and our abilities, but turn that inwardness to Godwardness and praise him for what he has done for us. He has saved us. He has blessed us. He's been so good to us. Ain't he good, church family? And so when we enter into true worship, what's happening is, is we're turning that inward focus to a Godward focus and saying, he's been so good to me and so kind, church family. He's been so, so caring and so kind, church family. If you are not shocked by the gospel, you have forgotten how holy God is and how sinful we are. He did not have to come for us. He did not have to. He did not. And so allow that to turn our gaze Godward and not inward. Look at more, even more that he's done for Mary. Look at verse 48 and 49. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, for now to all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things and, his not, and holy is his name. He had looked on her humble estate. Uh, again, this is not her saying, look how humble I am. Uh, this is acknowledging her position in life. She is small, insignificant, not noteworthy, meager, um, easy to overlook, a, a young peasant girl. If you're taking notes, Mary magnifies the Lord because she is humbled that God would use her in his cosmic plan to redeem all things. Look at me, church family. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, God has chosen you to be a part of his plan to redeem all things to himself. This is incredible news. This is this type of news as we focus on it should stir our hearts to true worship. This should snap us out of our lackluster worship. We should go, I can't, I can hardly believe this. Me? Like what, <laughs> what in the world do I have to offer God? God says nothing, but I will give you what you need to be a part of my redemptive plan. To, to help save people and to expand my kingdom and to grow the church and to raise funds and to do all of these amazing things that, that are gonna last forever. This is what God is inviting us to. Here's what I want you to see. God chose you. God saved you. God has a plan for you. And he wants you in mighty ways to, to have an impact, an incredible impact for his kingdom, ways way beyond your ability to accomplish. Now, Here's the next thing that she wants to show us. Worship God for what he will do. So she's giving us this model of worship. She's just like, I can't believe God has done all these things for me. She takes that and turns that Godward. But now she's thinking about not only what he's done for her personally, but now she's thinking about what God is going to do in the generations to come. Look at what she has to say in verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to to generation. Church family, are you worshiping him for what he will do? Now, we don't know exactly what God will do because God is sovereign and he, he knows his plans. We, we don't know his plans, but God has made promises, has he not? He has made promises to us, and does God keep his promises? Yes and amen. And so what we can praise him for, knowing what he will do, is this, is that God is going to continue to save the lost. How do I know God is going to continue to save the lost? Because he hasn't returned yet. When God is done saving the lost, he'll return. 
but he hasn't returned yet, meaning God is going to save the lost, and so we should praise him for being a God of salvation. God is going to continue to pour out blessings onto us, so let's magnify him. He is going to continue to work all things together for our good, for the good of those who love him. We should praise him for that. God is saving people here at this church, and he's going to continue to do so, and so we should praise him for what he's doing here in the midst of us. I, church family, I keep getting reports from family after family that is telling me that their child has just professed Christ. It's happening here at this church, and we need to praise him that he's going to continue to do that here. Amen? Amen, amen. Let's, let's worship him because one day he will return, and he will make all things new, and, and he's going to continue to bless generation after generation after generation and welcome those generations into his forever kingdom. That is what he will do. And so we should praise him for that. The last thing then that Mary shows us is this, in her modeling this for us and walking out this prayer of praise and worship, let her see. Worship God for what he has done for his people. I'm just going to read 51 through 55. I wish I had time to linger over each phrase, but here's what I want you to hear. I want you, <laughs> want you to hear this repeated, he has he has done this. He has. She just she bursts into this praise of, of his faithfulness to his people throughout the years. Just, just, just look at it. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy and has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. It's as if Mary is just thinking back over the Old Testament, and she's recounting in her mind time and time again when God would do these things, when he would see the proud and he would humble them, when he would see those, those rich and haughty people, and, and he would take from them and feed the hungry. Just time and time again, when God is faithful to his, his people, he just keeps doing it. What Mary is saying is that everything that is happening Everything in our world today is being bent to the will and to the purpose of God, meaning the rise and the fall of the Egyptian empire, the rise and the fall of Rome, the building of every nation, every kingdom from north to south to east to west is ultimately under God's sovereign control and he allows them to be and he brings them down and he is in control and he is doing all of that for his glory and for our good. Praise him. Praise him. And so let me ask you today, church family, what... What has he done in your life? Can't you, can't you look back at his covenant faithfulness to you? Has he walked with you through suffering? Yes. Has he poured out on you every spiritual blessing? Yes. Has he provided you every single thing that you needed when you needed it? Yes. Praise him for his covenant faithfulness to you. This is what he has done. Magnify him today for his faithfulness. Year after year, day after day, moment after moment, he has been faithful to you. And he's been faithful to the people that he loves. Well, as we draw this to a close, again, let me remind us of our, of our big idea, of our one main point. Here it is again. I said it at the beginning, and I'll say it again. True worship pours forth from our soul when we make much of him and less of ourselves. And so the application today is not necessarily a let's go out and do or, or get out your checkbook and write a check to this or volunteer for this ministry. The, the work that we must do this morning, church family, is heart work. It, it, it happens 
deep in your soul where you posture your heart for worship by meditating on what he has done for you, what he will do in the future, and what he has done for your people. Meaning this, here's the application. Posture your heart Godward. Posture your heart Godward. Focusing on what he's done for you. God, you've blessed me with so many blessings. God, I know that you're going to continue to bless those I love and continue to bless my family, and and you're going to see your kingdom expand and go forward. We praise you for what you will do. God, we praise you for what you have done. You've been faithful to your people, Israel. You've been faithful to your church through persecution, through suffering, through pain. You've been faithful to us over the years. Praise him for, for what he has done. Okay, last verse. Last verse, and I'm out of here. Verse 56. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. And there, I'm assuming, she continued to magnify and rejoice, waiting for the birth of the Messiah, her Savior and and her Lord. And so, church family, it's Sunday again. It's Sunday morning, so even though you had Saturday off from work and your Saturday probably got filled with a whole bunch of obligations, and this morning, you would have loved nothing more then maybe just to pull those covers up over your head and sleep in, but you knew you needed to be here. So you, you wrangled your kids and you made the drive. So church family, is your mind focused on that unfinished project at work? Are you allowing all the anxieties to, to crowd your mind? Are you going through the motions? Or has your heart genuinely engaged in worship? Are you like Mary today? Is your soul magnifying and rejoicing in God our Savior. Let's pray together. Oh God, turn our hearts outward. Turn our souls Godward towards you, to the things that you've done, to the ways that you have loved us, to the ways that you have loved those around us. God, turn our hearts Godward to the ways that you have shed your blood to save your people, the church. And you have not abandoned your church, though your church has been persecuted throughout the ages, though it looked like it was a failing endeavor, you stood faithfully by the church which you had shed your blood for. And we are here today, and you are calling us to a mighty calling, which is to expand your kingdom by serving the local church. God, we magnify you, Lord, and we rejoice that you are God, our Savior. I ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.